Welcome to this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lab, soon to be joined by Rex. And in this week's edition, we break down the wild New Yorker story in which the golf Saudi boss claims, among other things, that if the majors ban live players, he will just uh, create his own majors. We'll also discuss the loaded field where I am, South Carolina Congaree, at the CJ Cup where it's Rory, Jordan, Ricky, getting together one final time in 2022. But first, Odyssey is the number one putter on tour, and these putters continue to be the most played putters by far at the world's biggest events. In fact, Odyssey has been the number one putter at 50 straight major championships. They're the number one putter on every major tour. They have the most worldwide wins of any putter brand this year. And their newest products like the White Hot OG, Tri Hot 5K, and the 11 are winning in the professional ranks. Now, for more on the number one putter on tour, visit odysseygolf.com and find your new putter today. Rex, can't lie. I'm a little bit flustered. I was speaking earlier today. We were recording this on Wednesday. Once again, I'm in South Carolina at Congress, CJ Cup, speaking to a senior member of the PJ Tour communication staff. You could probably guess who this was, who said that he hates when podcasts, golf or otherwise, go off on tangents at the start of the podcast. He suggested that they get just right into it. No, no tangents, no weird, you know, roundabout ways of getting into this. Just start ranting about something. He said this is this is an epidemic in podcasts, golf and otherwise, that there's just these these weird tangents. And I said, you know what? That's funny. Because Rex and I do this podcast each week and our our video team will print out the time codes for what we discuss. And usually around the 40 second mark that says, you know, Callaway sponsor read. And then there's usually like an eight or nine minute gap before we actually get into a topic that's worth discussing on the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I said, this is this is a weekly habit. I said, I don't know what we're going to discuss. I said, I don't know where we're going to go, but we're certainly going to go off on a tangent. So please, the floor is yours, Rex. What tangent would you like to go off on this week before we actually get uh, into some sort of uh, discussion about live. Uh, I do have a tangent. Tell Michael, Michael Balaker or Jack Ryan. I'm guessing it's either one of those two people. Senior staff. Senior staff. PG Tour oh, Communications. Uh, Joel Shookman, was it? <laughs> ding, ding, guessing. ding. Yes. Yes. No, Shookman. And, and I love Shooky. Uh, I mean, he's been, we've been friends for a long time. Um, Tell Joel to mind his own business. I'm, I tell Joe actually, I, we appreciate him. He's actually never listened to the podcast. He's actually never listened to our podcast. Go he figured. said he's going to do yes. it on a walk. Yes, go figure. Uh, tell him we appreciate uh, all the effort. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's the best way to lean into it. I mean, I guess we could get straight to it. There's plenty to talk about this week. But if we don't talk about your new irons, which you haven't gotten yet, which by the way, you're, you seem a little worried about. If we don't talk about Ethan, I love wherever you, it is you're, wherever it is, wherever it is you're doing this podcast from, it looks like. I mean, a proof of life video. Are, are you locked away somewhere? Did you find a closet at Congaree? Like, I, I, I just stole a screenshot. So I'm going to have to post it when we put this up because you look like you're, you're either lost or being held captive. I'm hiding in uh, the media center. Uh, now that Shooky is actually listening to this podcast, I can, I can inform the listeners here that PJ Tour has kind of adopted this hybrid model where instead of having a separate 
interview room for the players to come into either pre-tournament or after a, a good round following tournament play, they've actually combined the media center where we work with the interview stage. And so the players will walk right by us in our laptops, sit up there, we ask questions at our desk, and then they, they go ahead and walk off. I think it's much more efficient. Uh, it probably cuts costs and makes a whole lot more sense. However, it does reduce the footprint of where we can record this podcast. Normally, I would go hide in the vacant interview room. Instead, I'm hiding behind what appears to be two column 100-foot televisions uh, while also hiding behind some sort of we can name names. We've already, we've already dropped enough names on the ground and stomped on yeah, them. Name look, names. Who are you hiding from? Give, give, put, the, put a name to this face. Yeah. There's 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 people in the media center uh, who 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 wouldn't particularly care for who? our, who our musings and ramblings. Doug Ferguson, uh, who was actually thinking about starting his <laughs> own podcast. We should have actually invited him uh, onto this. And so, yes, I'm trying to be cognizant of others who are working. I just filed a 1,600-word story uh, on Ricky Fowler that we could certainly get into while also filing two blogs. Uh, I hope the viewers, uh, Rex, enjoyed our weekly appearance on Golf Today, where we talked about the New Yorker story. So this, uh, folks uh, who are listening uh, back at Stanford, this is where you can start marking down uh, the time code when we discuss very important matters. Rex, uh, it was a 1,600-word story, Ricky filed for me. That, that was dwarfed in comparison to what the New Yorker writer churned out. 6,500 words. You've clearly been working on this. Uh, for several months, including a lot of uh, deep reporting uh, at the Tour Championship in late August. What was your main takeaway from the New Yorker piece, which delved into everything Live Golf, its future, its funding, uh, and, and kind of the disruption that we've seen among their professional ranks? It was extensive, and I would highly recommend everyone go read it. And if you have to get a subscription like I did, go ahead and pay the $12 and, and, and just suck it up because it's it's worth the read, the work that he did, the reporting that he did. From Personally, from my taste, there are probably a couple, I'll say a dozen too many, one player said, one agent said. There's, you know, I think he let too many get, people. Get, get a little uh, loose with the anonymous sources. And I'm not, I'm, I'm 100% sure everything I've heard about this particular writer is, is he's a phenomenal writer reading the story, it backed that up. But he was, I mean, you're referencing things players are saying that players are saying every single day on the range. Like they'll gladly put a name to, to this particular quote. I mean, one of them was, uh, well, the PGA Tour is the meritocracy of golf. Well, it said one PGA Tour player. You don't have to hide behind that. Everybody says it. It's the trope that gets thrown out there. I constantly. think Billy Horschel has that tattoo, does he not? He does right across the top of his forehead. That being said, I mean, and this was the part that got aggregated and everyone got all the headlines was some comments. And, and you and I talked about this on the golf today hit was, and it's the managing director of live golf and the CEO of Saudi golf, uh, Majed al Sor, I think. Yes. Killed it. Again. Killed, Killed it. Uh, he had a couple things to say. One of them was that if the live players are not allowed to play, and major championships going forward that they would just create their own major championships. I think both of you, both of us had the same reaction. It's, it's kind of laughable. laughable. It's yeah, laughable. you can't. It's comical. I mean, it's nonsense. And, and look, and we've talked about this before. Like, I, I don't want to live my life, life in an echo chamber. And I, I try to see this story from as many sides as possible. However, you've done some really, really good things with a lot of money, a ton of money. One of them is not going to be just add another zero and call it a major. The Players' Championship has been trying to do that for the better part of three decades and it has not worked, this is not going to work. That being said, the things that didn't get aggregated, 
I thought were the best part of the story. I want to get your thoughts on the major championship parts, but there was two parts that I wanted to point out. And this is so funny that I, I when I told you, you were just dying laughing. Here's the line, because I wanted to make sure I get it right. And this is uh, the writer meeting Majed. And it was, the man, I'm wore pink pants. the man wore pink pants and aviators. Quote, they call me a scary MFR. They did not say MFR. He said laughing. Just the, the, the scene of that is, con- I mean, just that's good stuff. Oh, you absolutely would have soiled your shorts. Had this guy, had this guy strolled up to you, <laughs> he drops they that line. You would have soiled your shorts. MFR. And, just and sounds, the one that I didn't sounds fantastic. And the one that I didn't even we didn't even talk about yesterday that that stuck me was at the Elmas towards the very end of the story. And again, a six thousand plus word story. They were talking about wearing shorts, and it was a, like a player vote, and they decided, okay, let's all wear shorts because we want to be different and comfortable. And Majed's comment, and the quote is, "Democracy is okay," he said. Sometimes, Some, no, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes exclamation point. Sometimes. Well, yeah, that was it. that's just you're adding the explanation point. I don't know how he said it. I don't know how it was delivered, but it's just however you want to go in your mind. Democracy is okay sometimes, or sometimes I don't know. It's, it's, it's sometimes <laughs> there is actually an exclamation point. This guy sounds uh, like an absolute hoot. Uh, I'd actually love it uh, if if I could if I could meet him someday. When when you look Rex at the actual substance of the story, and we can we can talk the major line first because that's the one that got aggregated everywhere. It's the one we did. Are hit on it was it was laughable in the sense that you can't just create or manufacture major championships we've looked at this with the players championship and people have been beating the same drum for the past 20 years that oh this deserves to be the fifth major look at the quality of the field uh the caliber of the golf course etc and yet it's still not recognized obviously it's one of the four grand slam events despite having what used to be uh, the largest purse uh, in, in tournament golf and so the fact that they can just say, we'll just create our own major championships is laughable. It's comical. It's something that's not be to be taken seriously. And you also have to keep in mind, this was the third to last graph of a 6,500 word feature story. There was no follow-up. There was no um, any sort of context related. It almost seemed like a throwaway line that I don't, I don't think that'll happen. I certainly think that live could create some sort of uh, postseason or playoff structure uh, if they already have a $50 million tour champion or uh, team championship at the end, there's nothing stopping them from doing uh, something for a hundred million dollars uh, with a couple of event series. I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities, but I also would push back Rex against the notion that the majors are siding with the PJ tour, which is what no one uh, has the said. Saudi, Saudi golf I mean, chief executive, it, but it's not been said. Yeah. said. No. And look, I think you can probably, uh, Connect some dots with the PGA Championship. Uh, Seth Waugh has been has been adamant that players who uh, resign their PGA Tour membership or suspended uh, would then lose their PGA membership and thus make them ineligible for the PGA Championship. So live players are probably not going to be allowed to play in the PGA Championship. However, Augusta National, USGA, the RNA, none of them have come out strongly one way or or the other about live player status. Uh, for the 2023 majors and beyond. They've certainly implied that some of the qualification criteria could be changed, but to suggest that the majors are siding with the tour, uh, that seemed premature at best. 
No, and I think Martin Slumbers, the chief executive of the RNA, just the most recently, the one that stands out back in July at the Open Championship, said as much that, look, it's we're an open championship, just like the U.S. Open. Like, There's always going to be qualifying. And if you want to play, there's always going to be that avenue for everyone, a live player, a non-live player, whoever the case may be. He did add that would they look at some of the qualification criteria as far as world ranking and when the cutoff is and top whatever in the world? Absolutely. And certainly the world ranking equation as it applies to live golf factors into this. But you're right. No one has just out and out said that, no, the live golfers aren't invited to this particular party. So I'm not even quite sure. I understood why it got aggregated, but I'm not even quite sure why that line was even in there. Because, number one, it's comical. It's farcical. I mean, it, the idea that you could just create a major is pretty funny in my mind, but we're not even there yet. That's not even the part of this equation that we wanted to lean into. I mean, there was many other things in that article that stood out to me. The, the one that I think you and I talked about on Golf Today was the idea of how, how close it was to just unraveling because of Phil Mickelson's comments in the Fire Pit Collective website uh, story. And that came out in February when the scary efforts line first surfaced when he was referring to, to the Saudis and just the idea that it was a tipping point, that it could have gone either way. And you and I both were in Los Angeles. We were covering the event. We were on the range. We were talking to players. We kind of felt sort of this give and take. But I don't think I realized at the time that it was as close. I, I felt all along that, OK, if this doesn't work, they're just gonna, going to buckle down and, and try it again six months from now. Like, I, I really feel like that's their M.O., but in this particular case, it was, okay, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And this is clearly a group that doesn't take no for an answer. They have the funding, whether it's a $6 million or 600, excuse me, billion dollar public investment fund, Oof, which is a slush, right. slush fund uh, for, for MBS. This is a group that was deep pocketed and could clearly spend two or $3 billion trying to get this startup off the ground. And as we've seen play out over the past six months, uh, money talks, and they have used that money almost exclusively uh, for signing bonuses, whether it's Phil getting a reported $200 million, DJ getting 150, Bryce and 100, Brooks 100. They're just throwing out uh, insane sums of money to try and woo these guys. But to, to, to have that kind of tipping point where Soror said, you know, everyone's walking away, what do you want to do? And the answer from the governor of the PIF was get the biggest mediocres, get the 10 that we have already signed, get you and I, and let's go play for $25 million. Now, we talked about this on the Golf Today hit. They had 12 of the top 50 players in the world ranking last week in Saudi Arabia for the final individual event of a live season. The rest of that field, Rex, is basically comprised... Mediocres? Of the biggest mediocres, whether it's Lee the Westwood, whether it's Richard Bland, whether it's Ian Poulter, whether it's some of the South African players, like none of those are headliners. I, look, I think Liv has made more progress than any of us anticipated. Having Dustin Johnson uh, join the fray, having Brooks Kepka, four-time major champion, join the fray, having Cameron Smith kind of felt like a game changer, number two ranked player in the world as of last week at least in the reigning open and players champion joined the fray was significant. However, there is still a lot of ground that needs to be made up uh, before live is seen as, as an equal to the PJ tour, which still has claimed uh, almost every top player. Is the biggest mediocre equivalent to like the best Toyota Corolla? 
Is that is that the comparison? McComb yeah, it's like the nicest. It's like the shiniest Toyota Corolla. You've got you've got like the nicest rims on your on your Honda Civic. Uh, you know, what was funny is as I, I saw that line and I kind of cut and pasted it and sent it to a player who was in the field that would probably qualify as one of the biggest mediocres just to get his response. And he goes, what's this from? So I sent him the whole story and he came back and he goes, yep, that's me, BM. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's funny. It's good stuff. Um, yes, I mean, that that stood out to me. You know, the other part that I, I found fascinating and and I actually kind of went back and, and wanted to reread it, the idea, and look, this kind of hits close to home for us that they continue to search for a network partner, specifically here in the United States. And, and it seems to me these negotiations probably aren't going like they want. From what, from what I had been heard, from what I'd heard inside Live, that they wanted to get this done before next week's team championship. And it doesn't look like it's going to. I still feel like Fox is probably, or Fox Sports 1 is going to be the, the landing spot, but it looks as if they're probably just, it's like a pay for play kind of deal. And the offhanded comment by Soror, and I don't know if it's offhanded or not, since he's kind of the guy behind this and he is the money behind this, is that he wanted to, quote, do it in-house, which suggests that they would consider like a live, something like, like the, a live network, yeah, like the NFL network or something along those lines, which is fascinating because I think, you know, for years, the same conversation has been swirling in, in the PGA Tour circles. And I, I think there's still something to be said for, and I don't know how long this is going to be. I think there's still something to be said for these network partnerships, which leads me to believe that that's going to be not the biggest stumbling block for Live going forward, because I still believe the world ranking is the biggest stumbling block, but that is a huge block. Well, certainly getting that sort of exposure and uh, kind of having the mainstream sports audience aware of what is actually happening is, is obviously a huge obstacle. I, I would argue that these players will be competitively irrelevant without world ranking. That's why there's such a push for it. That's why uh, Greg Norman and others have been so insistent that the rules need to be bent for them because they know if this process takes a year or two, as it has throughout the history of the official world golf ranking, uh, all these players are going to be irrelevant. And the number of points that live players would receive in their events would be so marginal uh, to not make any significant ground. And these players would never factor in the major championships again. Now, I think anyone who has gone to live has already made that sort of calculus. Harold Varner, <clears throat> I think you have to tip the cap to him. He addresses is that he knew the risks going in. He understood that he might not play in major championships again. And then he looked at uh, the amount of money that would be soon be deposited in his bank account. He said, okay, I can live with myself. So it's, it's certainly uh, players understood the risk. Uh, and if they didn't, uh, shame on their agents. Uh, for not fully addressing it with them. You will be on site Rex next week. I believe it is next week uh, in Doral uh, for the live team championship. What are you hoping to get out of that trip? Uh, well, I haven't been to a live event. I am curious to see what it's like. I I'm curious to see, I mean, again, you don't want to live your life in an echo chamber. So I, I want to go and see what these events are like, what the crowds are like, what, what the competition is like on the field. And certainly, looking ahead to next week, it's a $50 million purse. It's the largest purse ever in golf. It's at Dural, which we haven't been to in years, which was always one of my favorite stops to go to. We, it's been a minute since we've been there. You know, Trump's probably going to pop in. So there's going to be plenty of things to talk about. There's going to be plenty of news. I, I just don't know what to expect because I've read both sides and probably this New Yorker story, I won't even say probably, I feel like the New Yorker story did the best job so far sort of encapsulating exactly what the atmosphere has been. I like. hope so. It's 6,500 words. 
Uh, I mean, you keep going back to that, but it's only because you're jealous. It's just because oh, you fine. keep falling back on, yeah, 1700 today on Ricky. You're like, you feel inadequate, don't you? If I had a couple months to work on a story, uh, <laughs> oh god, 6500 <laughs> would just be me clearing my throat. Oh, God, I can't imagine. You just end up writing a book and just be done with it. Uh, before we get to next week, though, you are at Congaree. We had a short conversation yesterday before we had to do some other stuff. I believe the words you used is, I love this golf course. No? Absolutely love it. I have, like, such FOMO uh, watching last it's year, hard. not being here, and then actually heading out here. I'm not, I'm not sure I've ever had such envy of wanting to play a golf course while not being able to. And I'm uh, automatically regretting my decision to skip media day that was offered uh, a couple of months ago. I will not make such a foolish decision, uh, assuming that the CJ cup or any other PGA tour event uh, soon comes back here. It kind of reminds me of the sandbelt courses. You covered uh, a couple of president's cups uh, at Royal Melbourne, including back in 2019. It kind of has that sort of feel uh, listeners of this podcast know that I absolutely love Palmetto, you and I play at the Sunday before the Masters each and every year. It almost seems, I know this is sacrilegious, like a better version of Palmetto. Better? It's got a great Bigger, mix. maybe, but not better. I don't know. It, it really seems cool. I'm not even sure if, like the, the, the TV can do it justice with some of the, the firmness Brooks and the undulations. would like a word. <laughs> Look, I love Palmetto. It's one of my favorite courts. I've put in my top three favorite courses all time. But I also haven't played Congaree. I'd like to give it a chance. Uh, and if those who are listening uh, can get me onto Congaree, uh, please uh, take me up on that. So the golf course is certainly going to be the star this week. But you also have plenty of marquee names here. It's 15 of the top 20 players in the world. Rory has a chance to get to world number one. There's two scenarios in play. Both of them uh, involve him either finishing inside the top two and Scotty outside the top 30. What do you make, Rex? Do you think this is the week that Rory gets back to world number one for the ninth time in his career in the first since summer of 2020? I don't. I just feel like the, the window for him to slip through is so small. I know he, I know he has to win, but also I believe Scotty has to finish outside the top two or the top three or something along those lines, if I if I read that correctly. like There's a lot of things that need to fall into his place. And again, that's that's by far the best field of the fall. And I think this is going to be the toughest competition for Rory. And that probably includes the DP world championship that's coming up in a few weeks. And not to say he can't, I think his play this fall, I, I went through the transcript. I'm sure you were in the, in the press conference. There's a level of confidence that was probably not there at this time last year. So certainly I'm not going to be shocked if he's lifting the trophy. I just feel like that that window is so small. And in golf, we talk about it all the time. Like this isn't like other sports. I mean, your, your winning percentage is minute. And if you're winning 10% of your starts, you're, you're a Hall of Famer. And I think in this particular case, it's going to be a lot. I did find it fascinating hearing Rory talk today about how much harder it is to once you get to world number one, as you pointed out, this would be his ninth time getting there. It's so much harder staying there than it is actually getting there, which is kind of fascinating to me it kind of goes along with one of those sort of conversations do you, do you like winning more than you hate losing but in this particular case it was no it's not getting there it's once you get there and you have the target on your back and everyone's coming for you that's when things get difficult which i don't think i've ever looked at it from that perspective before wasn't that the old david duval line where he he tried his damnedest to to get to world number one and and to win a major championship then he woke up the next day and said what this is it like i worked uh well worked, no that's it that was a david worked duval. Up to get it. 
uh, that was a David Duvall uh, take, and and but that had more to do with getting to the top of the mountain and realizing that hmm, it was a little disappointing. And Rory did address that today because once you get there, and I think Rory's comment today was you you have to sort of reassess where you're going. And and I think he said the first time that he got the world number one, which was at the Honda in 2012, uh, I want to say that the first time he got there, he he you know opened up his phone on Monday morning and glanced at the world ranking and thought, huh, that's a little underwhelming. And I think that that's something that everyone has to deal with on some level. I mean, when, I think once you get there and you get kicked out, then it becomes more interesting because I think then as a competitor, then you you get angry. And, and again, this goes back to the love winning, hate losing more because I think most champions hate losing more than they like winning. And you listen to Justin Thomas today who also came in the media center at Congaree. And I remember back to 2021, he won the player's championship, didn't really do a whole lot other than that. He said he was disappointed. I think he graded himself like a D uh, for the year this year, he won upped it with a major championship at the PGA. And he's still, he said he's not quite irritated was the word they used, uh, but he said he's hungry. He said he's, he said he's, it's not quite enough. And so he's, you know, he's well outside the top five in the world ranking. He just kind of views that as, as unacceptable uh, for a player of his caliber who really doesn't think has a ceiling on the PGA Tour. And I think a lot of uh, these top players, uh, specifically the young players in their 20s, uh, feel uh, very similarly. It is interesting too, Brecht, because Rory's surge, and he's finished outside the top 10 just three times uh, since the Masters, has also coincided with a little bit of a cool down from Scotty Shuffler. Where he won four times in the span of two months, including the Masters, but he also has not won since Augusta National. He's had a couple of opportunities. You think back to Colonial, lost in a playoff. Uh, Sam Burns, you were there. Uh, obviously came up one shot shy at the U.S. Open, and then even in the FedEx Cup playoffs, came close to the BMW Championship, and they coughed up a six-shot lead uh, on the final day at the Tour Championship to hand the FedEx Cup title to Rory McIlroy. Scotty is an interesting case. He was talking uh, today. He, he took three weeks off after this President's Cup. He didn't play well at the President's Cup. earned just a half point in four matches there, and he said he was sitting on the couch just kind of chilling out, and his mind kept going back to golf and how frustrated he was with how the season ended. Now, if you look at Scotty Shuffler's stats, like there's a reason why he won four times. He was incredibly proficient across the board. But if you look over the past couple of months, uh, his putting uh, certainly was a little bit of a letdown, just a little bit too streaky, uh, and was the reason why he wasn't able to close out uh, not just a couple of those victories, but also uh, couldn't close out, close out his opponents at the President's Cup. So he has made a putter change, went back to a mallet uh, model for the first time in like, 15 years. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see Rex if Scotty can kind of reignite his game and close out 2022 on a high note, because this was the breakout year for him. Uh, and it would be kind of shocking if, if he ended the year as anything other than the world number one. It would be. And I went back to, as I was reading that transcript and, and it was interesting to me hearing him talking about the sort of the putting troubles that, that haunted him really throughout the fall and him turning to Steve Stricker at the president's cup. But I immediately went back to last fall. And I remember I was covering the Houston Open. And, and I remember writing on Saturday night because he went in to the final round, I think with a two-stroke lead, maybe a three-stroke lead, thinking, oh, like he's like it wasn't that long ago. It was just last fall when we were still not sure if he was going to be a great player or not. He was always going to be a good player, but you weren't sure if he was going to be a great player. And he didn't get it done on Sunday. And I remember thinking like, wow, that, that's got to be a setback. And when you think how far, or at least when I was thinking how far he has come since then, no, he probably wasn't 
he clearly wasn't as consistent as he wanted to be throughout the course of this year. And I think we've talked about it as he got past sort of that halfway mark of the season, he seemed to drop off specifically his putting, but the results sort of played into that. And I, I don't know if that was complacency. Certainly first time major champions have a tendency to want to take a minute and, and enjoy it. Like there's very few times you have very few Tiger Woods in the world who win a major championship and all they want to do for the next three weeks is work hard to win their second major championship. Like most people want to enjoy this. Now I know that separates average players from, from great players, but in this particular case, I wasn't particularly surprised, but I am surprised that, that he feels that there, there seems to be a level of aggravation with him, the, the way he finished the season. Yeah, it's certainly, I think, uh, merited based on some of the close calls. Yeah. I think he'd be singing an entirely different tune had he converted that 54 hole lead at East Lake and then just earned like at least a couple of points uh, and what was otherwise a pretty convincing, at least final score uh, for the Americans at the president's cup. There was an announcement, uh, actually a couple of announcements Rex on Wednesday, about the PG tour first Cameron Young, no surprise, 94% of the vote to earn uh, rookie of the year honors. I actually thought this was like announced a month ago. I've been writing uh, in copy uh, ever since Scotty Scheffler was the name player of the year that Cameron Young, uh, was also the top rookie because it was uh, just so obvious to me. But there was also, uh, it was finalized, the four additional elevated events for the 2023 PGA Tour schedule. Those will be, if you've been hiding under a rock, the WM Phoenix Open, the RBC Heritage, the Wells Fargo Championship, and the Travelers Championship. That goes along with all the other big ones. Uh, on the PGA Tour schedule for 2023. And so just as a reminder, all the top players on the PGA Tour will be competing together at least 17 times uh, during that 2023 schedule. What is pretty sweeping changes for the tour. Rex, when you look at these four additional events, you and I had bandied about uh, back in late August uh, when these sweeping changes were first announced, what we thought those four additional events could be. I was not surprised at all by the Wells Fargo Championship. That makes a lot of sense. It's kind of the premier event between the Masters and the PGA Championship. Other than that, though, I was a little bit surprised that Phoenix got the nod and then certainly two events in the Heritage and the Travelers, uh, two of which uh, are coming after, immediately following major championships. What was your take on the four tournaments that are going to be featuring a $20 million purse next year? No, I wasn't surprised. I mean, Phoenix has turned into just kind of the jewel of the West Coast. And, and I guess, if anything, I was more surprised that you didn't have the farmer's insurance open in that mix, because I feel like Toy Pines has sort of separated itself as one as an elite event anyway. So the fact that you just weren't willing to do it, it's, it's interesting. I was talking to a tournament director last night, kind of along the lines of what it takes or what it took in this process for a sponsor to essentially sign on. So it, it, like I asked him the bottom line, if you have an $8 million purse, is it really going to be an extra $12 million out of the sponsor's pocket every year if you want to get to that? And that's it. That, that I think there's some belief that the tour might be chipping in here to help out the first year, but by and large, it's going to be those sponsors. And, and I, I'm not surprised when it comes to travelers. If anyone that's ever been to that tournament or met Nathan Groove, the tournament director, or met the people at travelers that he works with really on a weekly basis, you see them out on tour there is a level of commitment there that's impressive i think the rbc heritage deal is kind of a, probably a package deal if i had to guess and by all indications that what they really want is to get the canadian open in that mix as an elevated event and obviously rbc is going to have a say in that 
but having heritage out there the first year is easy. You're right. Having it the week after the Masters is a little inconvenient. And as you pointed out, the Wells Fargo is a very good choice because of where it falls on the schedule and sort of how it's always been one of those better events. I, I guess I, I wanted to look at it through the lens of John Rahm kind of doubled down when he was asked again. And he had sort of balked at the idea that he has to play 20 events on the PGA Tour. And given his commitment also to the European Tour, that he has to play four over there. And there's not a lot of crossover. I think the Scottish would be the only Scottish Open would be the only crossover on that list. So he's looking at 23 events, which I guess to most people, it doesn't sound 23 weeks. doesn't sound like a heck, heck of a lot. However, as, as I glanced to his schedule just this year, he didn't play at a Heritage. He didn't play Wells Fargo and he didn't play Travelers. And so on top of what he's already played, he would have to add those three right out of the gates. Now, he meets probably the other criteria because he did play the American Express. He played the Farmers and Mexico. So he already has his other three. And he's, and he's he, playing here at the CJ Cup. And he's playing the CJ Cup. So the, those would be locked in. But based right now, he would have to play three plus, it looks like, three more for the, for, to, to maintain his European Tour membership. Uh, no, I'm sorry, two more to maintain his European Tour membership. So at this point which in the season, fine. he would which have- Which is fine because he wants to play the Spanish Open. And he wants uh, to play Dubai. Yeah, so that probably would be would be fine. But it, at this point in the season, you're talking about adding five five events essentially. I, I don't know if that's going to work with players, which led to which led to some other interesting answers. I thought today at Congaree when guys were asked, "Is it worth it?" I mean, if you really want to be in the pip, if you really want to collect this enormous amount of money, then you have to play this minimum. But what if you don't? What if you decide that, no, I want to go to my brother's wedding. That's more important than playing. And I'm not picking on the Travelers Championship. I just held him up aloft. But what, instead of going to the Travelers Championship, you're going to go to your brother's wedding. And I think most players of this ilk would probably make that same trade-off is what I think everyone needs to keep in mind. Do we actually believe that the tour is going to hold these players accountable and make them have to participate in each and every one of these events to be eligible to receive the PIP bonus? Tiger Woods is going to win the PIP in 2023 and i promise you that even though he is one of these quote-unquote top players he's not going to be playing 17 times next year on the pga tour i guarantee 17. that check that that check is still going to be deposited in, in his account i'm not we sure don't, he's gonna get we 17 don't actually... rounds forget about 17 tournaments <laughs> 17 tournaments oh my but i'm uh, saying no in, in order in order to in order to win the pip in order to be eligible to receive that money he needs to be playing in these tournaments it's part of the uh, qualification tiger's not going to do that uh, do you really there, believe there's he's, going to he's have going to, to win the pip and not get yeah of course no there's I, going i'm to just have curious, to curious what i that don't is. know how yeah i don't know how you get there because the tour has sold these sponsors or travelers let's keep going back to them like they have decided that it's worth 11 million dollars extra a year to get those players to get that field which is what they've always wanted they've been sold the bill that okay you're getting these players now suddenly if you put some sort of caveat in there that allows your John Roms and your Rory McIlroy's to skip two or three of these, which would include probably the Travelers. That's not fair. Rory's played the Travelers quite a bit, but it allows them to skip. Then now all of a sudden you're, you're at a crossroads with sponsors. So the tour is going to have to move delicately here. I, I was always concerned when they talked about making this 17 events because that is a lot because Tiger Woods and he was always the outlier, but at his best would play an average of 15 events. And I think most top players will tell you that that's kind of topping out for most people. There, there are some 
there's some crazies out there, Patrick Reed and some others who want to play 30 times a year, but most top players don't want to play more than 15, 20 events. And if you factor in the European side of this for the John Roms and the Roy McElroys, it's going to make it difficult. 20, 20 is the magic number. 20 is you got these elevated events. There's 13 elevated events. It's the four major championships. And then it's these three others. And if the PGA Tour and the Deeper World Tour can come to some sort of compromise where some of those are co-sanctioned, like Rory mentioned, the CJ Cup is counting towards one of his uh, DP World Tour required starts. And like, I think everyone would be happy with 20. And I actually did. It wasn't quite 6,500 words and it wasn't even 1,600 words, but it is a story on golfshell.com. Uh, on Tuesday, you guys can go check it out. Like, come fall 2023, top players have been clamoring for a true offseason, like real dedicated time off. Well, they're going to get it. And so I explored what these guys are actually going to do when they have all that time off. And Max Homa uh, suggested he's probably still going to play because he doesn't know what he would do with himself to have three months off. Billy Horschel said that, yeah, he can see himself kind of being – uh chaperone and, and going to his daughter's cheerleading practices but yeah you know he's there's still a couple events on the dp world tour that he would love to play max homa said he you know, he could see himself going to australia he's always wanted to play there uh you know, spieth said he typically gets the itch after like six weeks so i think next fall in particular after these guys have a very condensed schedule from january to august where they're playing at least 20 times uh, i am curious to see what shakes out and what becomes of the fall, as Roy McIlroy said, but what the fall 2023 should look like football. He said it is football season and there's no problem with seeding that ground. I do want to just button this conversation up about the elevated events, right? Because you look at them, there are certainly going to be some winners and losers, some tournaments uh, that have typically drawn good fields on the PGA tour that are going to get pinched a little bit. Kapalua is now one of these uh, elevated events, a century tournament, of champions i would expect the fields at tory pines and pebble beach to suffer because then you're going to have the phoenix open and the genesis invitational back-to-back weeks of elevated elevated events the honda is absolutely toast uh between phoenix genesis and then bay hill and the players the valspar championship uh, you and i absolutely love that golf course at innisbrook i think that deserves uh to be an elevated event uh, at some point that's going to get, then get pinched uh, with the match play and then the Masters uh, two weeks after that. So there's certainly going to be this delineation between the A Tour and the B Tour. Uh, that's going to cause a lot of frustration uh, and angst among uh, tournament directors, but there's also going to be an A Tour and a B Tour when it comes to t- tour membership as well. There's just going to be some growing pains with this. There always has been. I mean, this goes back to, I remember doing a story on this once. It was when Trippa Eisenhower was still playing on the tour and he kind of gave me the idea that you could kind of add up the purses that he played for versus the purses that Tiger Woods played for. And they played a vastly different tour. I mean, and Tiger was playing for a, in a lot of no cut events where Tripp was grinding away at those Valspar championships and just trying to make cuts and trying to compete with smaller purses. So there always has been two tours. They're just sort of putting it out there. And I will caution this because I think one of the things, and and I had kind of reported this earlier at Eastlake when this first sort of surfaced, is the idea that some of these events would rotate. And I still think that's the idea going forward. Although it sounds like 2024 is still very much a work in progress when it comes to exactly which which events will be elevated. I, I was told by one tournament director, though, that it looks like the four that were announced today that, you know, we're in that golf week store yesterday. That they're pretty much going to be locked in 
And so now if we're already starting talking about how to let certain players, Europeans, Rory, John Rahm, whoever, off the hook for the existing number, it, it could get carried away. And I think the tour is going to have to walk a very delicate line here. It's, it's actually funny because I was talking to a tournament director last night uh, who said that uh, he or she was under the impression that... <laughs> way, to, way to cover yourself. Yeah, that this is going to be rotating and that if if it doesn't, if everyone doesn't get a piece of the pie, if the Nelsons and the Deers and the 3M Opens of the world uh, aren't getting a little piece of this elevated status every three, four, five years, uh, there's going to be hell to pay. Uh, and those sponsors just aren't going to put up with getting a second rate field. So that's certainly something to, to keep in mind moving forward. Well, and because that was kind of the idea I was coming at. So you, you had these four who were being added to this elevated list. I was curious how many of the existing, of those now outside would even have an interest? Would Valspar even have an interest of coming up with an extra $12 million a year? That's no small sum. I know we've gotten crazy with the monopoly money because of what Live Golf has done to the economics of professional golf. However, that's no small sum to some of these companies. And I don't know if you're John Deere's or you're Valspar's or you keep going down the list, if they are Sony Open is another one that comes to mind. Do they really have even the ability to get in that game, let alone the, the interest, let alone the motivation? That, that takes a huge commitment from a corporation, and I'm not sure that that would be there across the board. It also bears repeating that 2023 is very much a transition year. It, this, this was a way to appease the players, line their pockets with a couple more millions, uh, kind of solidify what the golf calendar should look like for PGA Tour fans. And then what we're going to see in 2024, according to a couple of players I've talked to, is a more cohesive schedule with the DP World Tour. Uh, and so the, the schedule that we've seen for next year is going to continue to evolve with kind of the big unveiling in 2024. Are you kind of hearing the same thing? This is just kind of a stopgap until we get until we get to 24. I think so. I just don't know which events have been elevated for next year, this season, would, would fall out. Like, I think most of these events are on solid ground. When you look at the Phoenix Opens, when you look at, certainly, as I mentioned, RBC Heritage creates an interesting dynamic between that I think and they're gonna. The I think they're going to have to move. They're going to have to move some of those events around in the schedule. I think they'll quickly find out that that I think it, it looks good on paper, right, that you could have some momentum from, say, the Masters and then – the following week it's not like all those guys disappear then for a month that those guys turn up again uh, just a couple hours down the road and kind of continue that momentum from the year's first major but i think the travelers championship certainly depending on where the u.s open is played like this year it's going to be a little bit tricky like guys are going yeah. guys are going from canada to la and then back to connecticut uh i could see uh, either the heritage or uh, the travelers championship if they do remain in this elevated status moving a little bit in the schedule no, no. And I, I think you're right. I mean, I'm hearing the same thing that this, this is a work in progress. The tour has kind of thrown some things against the board. And this was all born from that player meeting that was uh, in Delaware a few weeks ago. And so I it may lead you to believe that there weren't a whole lot of details that Tiger and Rory had like a, a rough sketch. It's like they had stick figures up on the on the wall, <laughs> but they did. It wasn't in a lot of detail. And the tour is having to sort of scramble now to come up. But they have a year now. And I think that you're right. This gets them through this year and gets them into a spot where they could probably come up with something more coherent. I am in Beaufort. That's where I'm staying. It's about 40 minutes from Congaree. There is absolutely nothing here. Downtown Beaufort is wonderful. 
lovely little. I lived in, uh, I lived in Buford for four years. Was that right? Well, I should ask. I was you, in the uh, Marines. You, you know, I was in the Marines. Like I was yes. stationed in. Yes, all right. Yeah. Thank you. For Marine Corps Air Station Buford was where I was. In case you want to drive by. Thank you for your service. I had uh, absolutely there atrocious barbecue uh, on oh, Tuesday, no. uh, or excuse me, on Monday night. Uh, last night went to Breakwater. I uh, had some delicious uh, braised short ribs. If you have a seafood recommendation, uh, please pass along in the next uh, 30 minutes or so. What's on the grill this week? It's kind of a down weekend for college football. I'm not going to lie. George's got a bye week. Uh, yeah, I haven't even thought about it. We have a we have an away game on Friday night um, for, for the high schooler. And then I haven't even thought about what games are uh, at UCF actually at East uh, Coastal, uh, no, East Carolina. I think so. I don't even know what I'll be doing Saturday. You kind of caught me flat-footed with that one. I, I was certainly proud of what I did last week. I think I sent you a couple of snappy chats of uh, of, of some uh, of some chicken thighs that uh, everyone seemed to really like. So I, I think I might lean into that again. Way to go. You did. You, I've did, done... you did. Way to go. You did chicken thighs. Literally the cheapest thing you can buy. Go ahead. It's cheap, but it's delicious. Trust me. When they you're are. feeding a lot of kids, when you're feeding a lot of high school age kids, that's what you're Stinky looking for. Stinky and... Go take a shower, you rats. Uh, you know what's funny is we went to Four Rivers, which is uh that's probably not oh, wonderful. People aren't gonna know that. Uh it's a great barbecue place, and it's probably the best one, in my opinion, in Central Florida, or, or at least close enough to my house. And uh I, I had um burnt ends, and I immediately oh, I yes. always I do this every single time, and I'm like, I could do this, but it seems to me it's so much more difficult. Like there's so much involved, I don't know that I could. You can because brisket's the hardest cut uh, to smoke and being able to, to take those delicate bird ends off of the point meat uh, and, and execute them properly are very difficult. I would start, if I were you, with a pork belly burnt ends. I did them about probably a month and a half ago. Uh, there's plenty of options you can see online. You smoke them, you flavor them, you sauce them, you put them back on the smoker. Those are delectable little bites, such a perfect finger food you could probably only have a handful of them uh, without feeling uh too disgusted with yourself but it is like if you're having a football party and you want to like put four or five of them on your plate oh man uh, those are uh, finger looking good and i would absolutely recommend those to everybody well that wraps if it the up pga tours joel shookman doesn't like the small talk at the beginning of the podcast i bet he we're just gonna at the end of the we're, podcast. Just, we're just gonna shove it at the end they, <laughs> if, if he actually made it to this point and didn't turn it off after our tangent uh, to begin uh shooky was rewarded with some barbecue talk at the end but that's it for this edition of the golf central podcast presented by Callaway golf make sure you guys tune in next week it'll be a full wrap of the cj cup and rex will give a report from trump Doral. Uh, well, he'll be hobnobbing uh, with all the Saudis and former President Trump.